Let's try that. How's that? Is that better? All right. Well, good night, everybody. I'm glad to be with you again tonight. Thank you for being here tonight. We are uh, looking again tonight at the complete green letters. Uh, again, this is, a, this is an old series of books, and it is really worth the time if you'll, if you'll read it. Um, um, I suppose it's, it's not even heavy enough to be a good bookend if you don't want to read it. So maybe it's, if you're not going to read it, probably not worth buying, but this is good stuff. And I really want to encourage you in it. Tonight, we're going to look at something that is uh, called service and reckoning. Service and reckoning. But uh, we're going to have a word of prayer before we begin. So let's look to the Lord. Father, thank you so much for the gift of another day, the gift of life, for the gift of fellowship. Thank you for causing us to be able to grow in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to thank you for what you're going to do tonight as you open our hearts. We need you. We need to have our spirits open because we recognize that apart from you, we don't think the way you think. We, we do not uh, have your ways about us. It's only as we're in Christ Jesus that we get your ways. So we're asking that the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit will open us in our understanding tonight that we can fully grasp who we are in Christ and what it's about. I'm going to thank you for what you're going to do just now. We know that there are several people that are going through some uh, situations tonight. We ask you to bless them and encourage them in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I was just down the hall. Uh, Brent Murphy, the, the, uh, Peggy and, and uh, Henry had several children. Um, Peggy, or I'm sorry, Brian, and then there was Brett, and then there was Brent. Uh, as far as sons go. Well, Brent was involved in an accident tonight. He was rear-ended by a vehicle. He's fine. Nothing happened to him, but his vehicle is in trouble. <laughs> so it's, uh, and apparently there were several other people that kept hitting cars out there because it was dark and people didn't have their headlights on fully. And so anyway, they had their hazards on, but didn't have their headlights on. So people didn't see them and hit him again. So uh, I don't think Brent was hit more than once, but some of the other vehicles were hit more than once. So I was finding out about that. And then I understood that um, Chris Kicklider had posted a, a, uh, a fatal accident on Facebook, and we found out that that one is probably spam. So if, you, if you're looking at Chris Kicklider's, it looks like that one is a spam post. So uh, it's not, not anything that we need to be concerned about. And I think that's all the accidents I know about at, at this point tonight. All right. Uh, we're going to look at something called cause and effect. Um, this is an important thing because there are a lot, of, um, a lot of advertisements that talk about cause and effect. Um, and some of those are to sell you products that they want you to buy. And they're telling you that uh, the, here's this effect. Here's this disease or this, uh, this tragedy that happens to you, and the cause of that is this thing right here. Well, it's not always that's what the cause is. That is correlated to it, but not the cause of it. So there's a difference between causal and corresponding. 
some effects are not happening because, of, for instance, butter. Man, don't eat butter because butter will kill you. It'll just wipe you out. Don't eat eggs because there's cholesterol. Your brain lives on cholesterol, kids. It's got to have cholesterol. Uh, matter of fact, it's serious enough that if you don't get the body cholesterol, it will make its own. It's got to have cholesterol. Everybody understand where I'm coming from? So depending on who paid for the study, they can make things sound like they were a cause when they weren't the cause. So we have to be so careful with who we listen to. There's been a lot of really pseudoscience that's been put out there labeled as science because somebody paid for a study to be done. Let's say pork growers paid for a study to be done that lets you know that the beef industry is bad news. And the beef industry will pay for a study that shows you eating pork will kill you for sure. And then the poultry industry comes out and says, both of those are bad for you. Stick to the white meat of chicken. Um, truthfully, uh, they're probably all about the same. You, 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 some of them have different um, amino acids uh, that, that you need for living, and they're not all in the same combination. Now, why am I telling you this? Just simply because before you let a study tell you that the cause of this thing, of this effect, is this, just go back and ask who paid for it, how true is it, and if you get a chance, look at the study itself. If it's not a peer-reviewed study, if the study was of 43 people that were living in Toledo, maybe that's not the study you want to be following. Uh, especially if you're living in the Midwest, you, you want to get a lot more people than that in that study. 43 people is not enough, okay? And just look the study over. It'll tell you how many people were tested and that sort of thing. So, so tonight, I want to talk to you about the cause and effect. The effect is producing service, a, a good, dedicated service to Christ. That's the effect. What causes that? Um, and so what I want to look at is some scriptures, first of all. Um, look at, the, well, you've got, if you've got your papers here tonight, I went ahead and wrote the scriptures out for us so we could all be on the same, uh, using the New King James Version. We don't all have the same version. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think it's a good idea that we have different versions here so we can get a, a new perspective on things. But why don't you look at this in Luke chapter 10 verses uh, 38 through 42. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Now I want you to just back up with me just for a moment. Whose house was this? It was Martha's house. Now it looks like Lazarus, Martha, and Mary were all living in the same house, but it's, it's Martha who welcomed her into her house. Now, she's the hostess. 
and the hostess is asking the guest to tell her sister to get to work and help. That seems like a strange thing. I don't know if you've ever been invited to somebody's house in which the hostess or the host said, uh, hey, you know, while you're sitting here, would you go tell so-and-so to help, help my wife? Uh, that, that's, uh, but uh, that's nonetheless what she did. But I want you to notice a couple of things here. Contrast the many things of verse 41 with the one thing of verse 42. Listen to what Jesus says. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. What many things was she worried about? What was she troubled about? Yeah, <laughs> not him. <laughs> Good. Uh-huh. So there's many things that come to serving dinner, right? Listen, the, the, one time we're going to talk about the theology of the table because the Bible is just full of eating. Uh, it's full of hospitality. You know, when you start out with the first sin, it involved eating. You know, and, and the curse is going to involve eating. What are you going to eat from the ground? That's what you're going to be eating from now on. And he's telling them what they're going to eat. Many of the great things that were established as covenants came as the theology of the table. So there's hospitality involved there. So that people are having a dinner together is a good idea. That's, that's just good old Mideastern hospitality at work. And many of us have experienced the same thing whether it's going out to eat with somebody and taking, taking another couple with you and enjoying that couple, enjoying that family. I know the, a, lot of, a lot of times very early on in our ministry here, um, we had uh, at that time two children, and soon we're going to have three. Um, but people would often take us to dinner someplace after church. They'd take us to dinner someplace. We'd Get, that's how we got to meet a lot of people and found out a lot of things about those people. That was a good, healthy way to do it. I appreciate what the Time of Need team does here when they make sure that there is a dinner for families so they can sit around and, and, and talk together and enjoy. Because if you're like a lot of families, we don't get together except for those kind of situations, either weddings or funerals or some some such thing as that. But... Uh, here, she's having this, this dinner and inviting Jesus for it, and she's worried about the many things that are involved with it. So she's got all those serving things. That's, is the silverware set? Uh, is, is, the, is it going to be hot enough? Or is this, me, this part of the meal going to be too hot? Is the bread going to get cold before we, we have the, the soup or the dip that's in there? Uh, is the meat going to be ready? Have I, did I start it early enough? Uh, we, we have all those many things that she's worried about, but she's doing it, follow this, for the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? She's doing it for the Lord. She is serving the Lord. That's what she's after. So you, you might say, wait a minute, that's not anything to, to be critical of. Yet I want you to notice what the Lord says. Um, that's just as a reminder, um, on this dinner that the Lord is sitting at with Martha, how hard is it for him to make dinner? I want you to think how many people he has fed from practically nothing. So preparing a dinner is not the big item for him. 
You follow what I'm saying? But it is important, as he says, the one thing that she chose. So you have Martha's concern. The only one thing was only one thing was needed, and Mary chose that good part. Well, look what it says in verse 42. But one thing is needed. Not many things, one thing. One thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. So Mary chose what it was. So often you look in verse 39, it was Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. How often do you get to have Jesus that you can sit at his feet? Martha, Mary had chosen that part. She wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. She was in love with Jesus, and she wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. She felt that Jesus was the important thing. And Jesus commends her for it, okay? So as he, as he puts it here, because Mary chose the good and needful part, Jesus said it would not be taken away from her. Why would it not be removed from her? Uh, could Martha's service be removed from her? How? So let's just talk our way through that. Um, why would it not be removed from her? Why would her devotion to Jesus and listening to Jesus not be removed from her? Yes. What, what is she going to gain from doing that? It's no doubt showing he's vastly important, Right? If you're, if you're going to stop long enough to pay attention to what somebody's saying and you're going to sit at their feet to have them say it, you just declared their worth. That's for sure. But when, when she is, if I can say it this way, dining on his words, you're not going to remove those words from her. You follow what I'm saying? Those words are going to stick with her. She's going to remember what Jesus had to say. She's going to remember the night that she sat at his feet and listened to what he had to say. But Martha, on the other hand, is going to, that food is going to last how long? The next day? And then it'll be gone? You, you understand what I'm saying? So all of that service is going to wind up not really amounting to anything. You follow? It's going to be needed but not like what Mary was doing. So in other words, there is a point at which you have to look and say, it is more important to be with Jesus and get grounded and rooted than it is to do all the things to serve Jesus. Jesus was not looking for us to serve him. Does that make sense? He was not looking for us to serve him. He did not come. This is his own words. I did not come to be served but to serve. So the service we're offering to him isn't the value that the service he's offering to us. And if we recognized who he was, we'd be Mary's. Does that make sense? If we really recognize who Jesus was, we'd be sitting at his feet. He's got great value. But when the host is having the guest over, she's, she's no doubt declaring he has good, uh, good value but she's getting some credit for it. She's going to be remembered for, wasn't that a great dinner for a while? Then after a while, nobody's going to remember that we had dinner over at Martha's house one night. All right? Let me go on a step further. <clears throat> we are called to be witnesses. 
What is the witness of the two women? What did they show to others was of great importance and value to them. Do both of the women believe that Jesus is important? Yes. One of them believes Jesus is important enough to sit down and listen to. The other believes Jesus is important enough to serve. So he gets to be a guest who's being served where Mary is being served by him. So they're, they're both showing some honor, and they're showing some witnessing there. Let me look at John fifteen seven with you just a minute. If you abide in me, oh, to a conclusion on that one is simply this. It is more important for us to listen to Jesus while we've got him than it is to try to serve Jesus from our own resources. Does that make sense? More important for us to, to know who Jesus is and be taught by him than it is that we're giving him out of our own resources. So John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So let me, let me just stop just for a minute. In this study of cause and effect, what's the cause and what's the effect? In this verse, right, just, just 15, 7 for right now. What's the cause and what's the effect? Is the, that's the cause. So if I abide in him and his words abide in me, that's the cause. Something will come from that. Yes, so I'm going to have answered prayer, right? So the, the effect of answered prayer comes from me abiding in him and his words abiding in me. So my growth in Christ is more significant than anything else. The effect of having answered prayer is coming from this cause. Look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Okay, so fruit is an effect. And that fruit is coming from answered prayer. You see where, where I'm coming from? It says, by this my Father is glorified. By what my Father is glorified? That you ask what you desire, it should be done for you. When you ask what you desire and it's done for you, the Father is glorified. And because of that, you're going to bear much fruit. So the answered prayer is the fruit. And what caused the answered prayer that caused the fruit? Abiding. So it was growing in Christ, not doing things for Christ, not a Martha way of doing things, but a Mary way of doing things. You follow where I'm coming from? All right, so by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Let's go on to the next page there. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy may be full. So here's the effect. His joy is going to remain in him, and that joy can be full. What caused that effect? Yeah, keeping his words, keeping his commandments. That's what caused this effect, that our, his joy would be in us. So my goal is, and how do I keep them if I don't know them? If I don't know what he's commanded me to do, how can I keep it? I mean, when, it, when you get right down to it, kids, he said these two things you got to do. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your might, your mind, everything about you. 
and your neighbors yourself. He said, if you keep these two, you will have kept the whole law. So I could look at first the Ten Commandments, then I could look at the other 500 and whatever that was added to it. If I love God and love my neighbor, I'll have kept all of them. Wow, that's a big deal. I can know this. If I love my neighbor as myself, I am not going to steal his stuff. If I love my neighbor as himself, I'm not going to take his wife. If I love my neighbor as I love myself, I'm not going to steal his donkeys. I'm not going to steal his tools. I'm not going to steal from him because I don't want to be stole from myself. So I'm going to do unto him as I'd like to be done. I want him to love him as I love myself. I, I'm, I'm going to honor his family. Why? That's, that's loving him. So, in other words, all those Ten Commandments are fulfilled in those two things. Loving God with my whole heart and soul and mind and body, everything about me, and loving the neighbors and self. All right? So, if I, if I know those two commandments and I keep those two commandments, I'm going to have answer to prayer. I'm going to bear much fruit. I'm going to have his joy, and the joy will be full. That's the effect that's coming from the cause. So, the cause is... Get close to Christ. Know Christ. That's what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks here. The value of knowing him. All right. Let's go and see if I can. What is the requirement that Jesus lays down here to be a good fruit-bearing disciple? Well, that was, uh, I think we've already answered that. That was abiding in him and his words abiding in us. What does this requirement look like in everyday living? Okay, so we can talk about this as theory. So the theory is that if I abide in Christ and his words abide in me, then I'll have answer to prayer. So tell me what that looks like in everyday life. How will I know I'm doing that? Spending time in his word. Yep. Now, when I spend that time, you know, I was in, uh, I got a chance to go to Nepal. And in Nepal, I was talking to guys there, and my, my goal was to talk to them about the importance of meditation of Scripture. And I noticed that in the church we were in, beautiful little field right down beside us here. And at that field was a cow tethered. And that was just to, keep, to make sure the cow didn't get any place too far. And the cow was eating grass. And as the cow would eat that grass, I noticed that, man, it was gregarious. It was just eating, 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 eating. Then it stopped. Laid down and sat there and chewed. And I said, that's meditation. They all went, huh? I said, watch that cow. That cow took in as much grass as she possibly could. Then she sat down and took the grass that she just took in, since she stored it at one of her stomachs, and then it was partially digested there. She brought it back up again. That's chewing cud. And she chewed it again to refine it even more. I said, when you memorize the Word of God, you're taking in lots of the Word, you're memorizing it, and the goal of memorization is to bring it back up again. It's not to get an award (laughs) Sunday morning as you've done your Scripture memory. The goal is to be able to ruminate on what you just took in so that that is abiding in you. Does that make sense? So it is, 
It is to read as much of the Word as you can, listen to as much of the Word as you can, talk about the Word as much as you can, and then memorize it so that you can bring it back up again. It is to look around and say, look, Jesus is Lord of everything. He's, he's Lord over the politics of this country. He's Lord of the politics of Israel. He's Lord of the politics over Gaza. He's Lord of the politics over Saudi Arabia. He's Lord over all of them. So for me to worry about their lordship would not be acknowledging him. That's not abiding in him. For me to acknowledge that there, there's some other thing going to be disastrous and wipe us all out without remembering Jesus is coming, that Jesus is the solution to that whole thing, it's not abiding in Christ. It's abiding in anxiety. It's worrying about something that's going to take place. I don't have to worry about what's going to take place. I'm going to prepare for what takes place. I'm not going to be scared for what takes place. I'm going to be prepared for it. If I know there's a storm coming, I can see the, the, not only the rain clouds, but I can even see a little twister coming with it. I'm going to know that the best thing I can do is to go to the basement. That's not because I'm scared. That's because I'm prepared. I know that I'm going to go down into the basement and stay away from that, that movement of that air that could destroy a lot of things so that when, I get, when it's passed, I can get back out and start preparing, re, uh, repairing things. Okay? So um, to be able to abide in Christ means that I'm remembering Christ overrides everything. But I'm, I'm remembering what Christ is. His commandments abide over everything, and those are what keeps me going. All right? Um, so that's what it's going to look like every day. It's taking in the Word. It's ruminating over the Word. It's paying attention to the Word. That's getting me rooted and grounded and built up. If we do the required action Jesus told us to do, abide in Him, and His words abide in us, what will be the immediate effect? Joy. Answered prayer, bearing fruit, all of those things. Um, let's go to the law of fruit trees. I know this may not seem like, but even in the Old Testament, there are examples given to us that show us what life is about. So look at this law of fruit trees, would you? Leviticus 19.23, when you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. Three years it shall be uncircumcised to you. It shall not be eaten. But in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. And in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit, that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. When the Israelites entered the promised land and settled it, they were to plant trees for the fruit that could be produced by them. When could they eat the fruit of the trees? Fifth year. So they could plant a tree, and they got to wait five years before they're going to eat from that thing, right? Why would he do that? Okay, keep it pure. What's got to happen to that tree? It's, it's got to keep the root system going, right? You, you're, you're not going to get fruit off of it. It's got to grow deep. And as it grows deep, and you didn't abuse it by taking all its fruit away, you let it go ahead and get deep. You let it become a mature tree. Then in its maturity, it can give you fruit. And it's in that maturity that it bears the most fruit. You'll be able to eat in that fifth year all its good produce. But in the fourth year, it says it's producing. Why can't I eat it the fourth year? 
It's holy to the Lord. It's, in other words, I'm going to let that tree bear that fruit, and the fruit all goes back to the Lord again. It all drops. It's going to be his. He is the one, and, and I'm not going to eat what's his. That fourth year, all that belongs to him. Does that make sense to everybody? So if, if, we, if we get that, how does that teach us about our living? When are you going to be able to really bear fruit? Yes, when we're rooted deep in him. So uh, what I'm saying is growth in Christ is more important than service in Christ. Are you following where I'm coming from? We look first at Martha. She's wanting to serve the Lord. She's wanting to give something to him out of her own resources. Mary's understanding she hasn't got the resources. She needs to find out from the master what her resources are. She needs to find out for the master, is the way I'm thinking about doing things the right way, or is there another way? So she's learning from him. Everybody follow me? And he was showing us by the trees that you wait until someone has really established themselves, rooted and grounded, before you start putting them into some sort of service. Now, uh, the Scriptures tell us, don't let a man who's a novice become a deacon. Why? If he's new in the faith, you don't want to just say, listen, this, this guy's really sharp, he's a hard worker, he'll get right in there, so let's make him a deacon. No. Your deacons should be more than just hard-working fellas. The deacons and deaconesses should be more than just hard-working people. They should be people who know the Lord first. So give them time to grow in the Lord so there's fruit in their lives. You remember Stephen, he, he was a man who was... Um, Oh, well mature. He was able to argue the faith in front of all these people. He knew what he was talking about. He knew who Jesus Christ was. He knew why Jesus was the fulfillment of Scriptures. He was prepared for that because he'd been given time to grow up. We've got to give people time to grow up. And it's got to be something that's important enough to us that we're trying to tell them, grow up first, grow up first, get in these Bible studies. Yeah, uh, you want to serve something? Then why don't you be a greeter? Uh, let's, let's let you learn hospitality. In being a greeter, you're going to learn people's names. You're going to start having conversations with people. That's going to be important later. But you need to be in a Sunday school class. You need to be in a small group somewhere. You need to be taught before you start going out doing things because you could be doing all the wrong things for all the wrong reasons. Is that making sense? All right, let me, let me, let me go on with this. Chapter 44 then. Having, that's the background we have for looking at chapter 44. Here In chapter 44, pages 199 to 202, He'd, asked these, he'd made these statements. What is the difference between these two statements, the barrenness of a busy life or barrenness of life produces busyness? What's the first one mean, the barrenness of a busy life? Yes. Oh, great, great, sis. That's great. It's, it's saying this, that you can get so busy that after a while you're not, you're, there's no depth to you at all. And you will get 
beside yourself, okay? Um, I know it was easy enough when, you, when we were in graduate school where you're studying scriptures, Hebrew and Greek, every day, every day, and you're studying, and you're tearing them apart, you're translating things, you're doing all kinds of things. It was easy enough to feel like, man, I'm really devoted to the Lord. But that didn't mean that at all because that's a very academic approach to the Scriptures. Necessary, but it's a very academic approach to the Scriptures. You see, if we didn't have a devotional life too, a life that said, Lord Jesus, teach me about who you are, then we're going to become the mechanics of the Scripture where we're mechanically taking it all apart, putting it all back together again, and stating this is what those propositions state. No, we needed to have time where we were with the Lord ourselves. Because what ultimately happened, you become dry. You, you, you can't produce anything anymore. You become dry with it, okay? So you can get so busy that you're, you have no depth to you at all. If you don't spend some time loving the Lord and letting him talk to you and abiding in his words and letting his words abide in you, then you're going to wind up dry. You're not going to be able to serve well. Don't let to, it's Christian school. Man, that's easy to do there. Well, I'm a teacher. I'm around the Word every day. As a student, it's easy enough to say, I don't have to have devotion to Christ. I'm in the Word every day. I've got to memorize this verse and that verse and this one and the monthly verses. I've got to memorize the Word. But you know you can memorize the Word and not know squat about what it says? If you don't know its meaning, what's the point? It's, is, it, is, it, is it just to, to make sure that your neurons get fired up in an order so that you know how to memorize things? Well, it's a wonderful exercise in mechanics, but it isn't an exercise in love of the Lord. So it's totally possible for a, a Christian school student to have no understanding of God at all because they're not in any kind of devoted life to him. It's totally possible for a teacher to go through that same thing, for Awana leaders to go through that, trail life leaders, any, a dad, a mom. It's, it's, it's possible for us to get so busy that we're not devoted to the Lord, abiding in him and abiding in his word, that we're not fruitful. We, we're missing what the point is. But barrenness of life produces busyness. When you don't have depth... We'll, we'll say this in just a few minutes, so I'm not going to say it just yet. When you don't have any depth to your life, you'll get busy trying to do things to show God that you're really serious. So now you're going to do all kinds of things. You know, I'm, 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 I'm at Children's Church. I, I'm working over this one. I'm working in this group. I'm working in that group. I'm, do, I'm just so busy. I'm busy. I, you know, that's, that's proving that I love the Lord. No, Martha, it isn't. It isn't proving you love the Lord at all. It's proving that you love you. You'd like to get more of your work done, more of the things you've decided that God ought to be pleased with. All right? So the barrenness of life is what produces busyness. When we don't have any depth anymore, we'll start looking for things to do. What's the difference between, that's on the next page now, working for the Lord and working with the Lord? What's the difference in those two, working for the Lord and working with the Lord? What is working for the Lord? It has to do with self, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it's what? Yes, she's working for the Lord. 
She's going to serve him. She's going to give him something. That's not what he was asking for. He had come for their heart, and she's giving her service. They're not the same thing. It, it makes you feel better when you're working for the Lord, that everything you do is for him. Then you're probably missing out because it's not for him. It's likely for you. It's something that you're satisfied with. That's something that you think the Lord would really want. What does it mean to work with the Lord? How is that different? Yes, it is. It's operating his strength and his joy. Yes. You're, you're, not, you're not worried about producing something. You're, you're saying, Jesus worked through me to get something done. Now I'm working with the Lord. When the Lord's putting situations in front of you that you can take care of, then take care of them. You know, when he's, he's giving you the opportunity to see somebody that's in great need, meet the need. Just meet the need. Uh, where you're, you're walking toward the Lord and he's walking toward you to help you fulfill what that is that was, was in your mind. What does the author say is the motivation for the most part of those whose emphasis is service? If you haven't read the chapter, I understand why you wouldn't know the answer to that. Uh, let, me, let me just say this, self, self. The author says the motivation for the most part of those whose emphasis is service is self. They've decided what it is they think God ought to like, and they're doing it. Can I say that the emphasis on service was what Cain was doing? That I'm going to offer up this service for the Lord that he ought to like. And when God didn't like it, he killed his brother. Does that make sense? When you're offering up something you think God ought to like, you're missing the point greatly. You're, you're not grasping what it is he's saying, all right? So that can be self. And then uh, the author made this statement, we must all learn sooner or later that the result of every form of self-effort is nothing but a barren waste, a spiritual death valley. What does that mean? That's a, that's a statement directly out of your book. Um, we must all learn sooner or later that the result of every form of self-effort is nothing but a barren waste, a spiritual death valley. Yes. It has no eternal value. It's, it's this. When I've determined to do things for the Lord, and I've determined to do them out of self-effort, I am in rebellion to God. Here's why I'm saying that. God didn't intend for us to act independently of him. That was never the goal, even from the, the garden. Remember, the one time we acted independently of him is when we went ahead and ate the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're acting independently of him then. And that act of independence is what broke our fellowship with him. God never intended for us to be doing things by ourselves. He has always intended for us to be in union with him, doing things together with him. Um, let's take a look. If you've got your, your Bibles, let's take a look at Deuteronomy 1, 34 to 46. 
Deuteronomy 1, 34 to 46. I have my New American Standard with me here tonight, so if you don't mind, I'll just go ahead and read from that. You can read along from where we're at. Here's what Deuteronomy 1, 34 to 36 says. Then the Lord heard the sound of your words. Now, stop. This is where the, um, the spies had come back the, from viewing the land. They said it's good land, but boy, there's some enemies over there that we just, we, we're, we're grasshoppers in there. We, we can't possibly go in there. And the people had decided, then we're not going. Well, when he'd heard those words, the Lord was angry. And then he goes on to say, And he was angry and took an oath, saying, Not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him and his sons I will give the land on which he has set foot, because he has followed the Lord fully. The Lord was angry with me also on your account, saying, Not even you shall enter there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter there. Encourage him, for he will cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones, who you said would become uh, prey, and your sons, who this day have no knowledge of good or evil, shall enter there. And I will give it to them, and they shall possess it. But as for you... Turn around and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Then you said to me, we have sinned against the Lord. So this is what the people said. We've sinned against the Lord. We will indeed go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every man of you girded on his weapons of war and regarded it as as easy to go up into hill country. And the Lord said to me, now watch this, say to them, do not go up nor fight. For I am not among you. Otherwise, you'll be defeated by your enemies. So was God expecting them to go fight by themselves? No. From the very get-go, he was going to be with them. That's what Caleb and Joshua had said. The Lord is with us. We can take this. Yes, the enemies are big. Yes, there are giants there. Yes, there are fierce people there. Yes, all of that's true. But the Lord is with us, and he'll give us this land. So it was always that the Lord was going to go with them. Now he's saying, don't do it, for I will not go with you. All right. Do you understand the importance of that? If the Lord's not with you, don't do that thing. That's a wrong thing if the Lord's not with you. Here we go. He said, uh, say to them, do not go up nor fight, for I am not among you. Otherwise, you'll be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, but you would not listen. Instead, you rebelled against the command of the Lord, so now they're going to act independently, and acted presumptuously and went up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and crushed you from Seir to Hormah. Then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice nor give ear to you, so you remained in Kadesh many days, the days you spent there. So it's always been the Lord's goal that we work with him, not for him. All right? Um, Let's see if there's anything else there. Why was the Lord angry with them? Because they were acting independently of him. What does this teach us about self-effort? Dumb move. Dumb move. 
It'll get you killed. It'll destroy your future. Don't do it. All right. Well, let's look at Leviticus 10, 1 to 3. Leviticus 10, 1 to 3. Leviticus 10, 1 to 3 reads this way. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near to me I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. So Aaron therefore kept silent. Here are two boys that believed because they were exceptional, because they had been given a special privilege to being priests before the Lord, that they could do anything they wanted to do, and they could act independently of the Lord. It cost them their lives. You can't work independently of the Lord. Does that make sense? So if you're following where we're at with this, the best thing you can do is get as close to the Lord as you can get, and from that, service comes. It's not go start doing a bunch of service and expect God to like it. He doesn't have to like it. He's the one who's made the whole idea of service in the first place. He doesn't have to like your efforts, and your efforts are not appreciated. Does that make sense? So get close to the Lord and let him give you a ministry. All right. All right. Here's another one. Why didn't Jesus expect his disciples to be disciple makers immediately? Why did he not tell them, go make disciples early on in his ministry instead of later in his ministry? It's three years after he starts this ministry that he's telling his disciples. This is after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, before his ascension, he gets the disciples together and now says, go make disciples. Why didn't he say that? In the beginning, look at Mark 1, 17. Here's, I've written it there for you. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Does that make sense? They didn't know how to do it. They did not know how to bear fruit. They did not know how to be fishers of men. They did not know how to make disciples. It's Jesus that's going to teach them how to make disciples. And he's going to take three years with it, kids three years. Now follow this. How long were the fruit trees supposed to grow? Three years. It's in the fourth year that their fruit is holy to the Lord, right? So these guys got three years with him. He leaves, and in that fourth year, they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and 3,000 are being saved in one day. 5,000 are added on. Then it's gonna, that gospel's going to go all over the place. That's their trees now bearing fruit that can be eaten. Is that, you follow where we're coming from? All right. So Jesus didn't, didn't tell them to make disciples because they weren't ready to make disciples. They've got to get rooted and grounded and built up in him before they can bear that kind of fruit. <clears throat> Your author wrote this, when growth in Christ is given first place, service will never suffer. What does this mean? 
How can we know when we are in a place to grow in Christ? What will that look like? Now, some people say, especially those who believe in service only. We don't want to just be sponges and sit here taking in the Word. We don't want to be sponges just sitting here taking in the Word. No, you do want to be wrung out. But it's the Lord who rings you out. It's the Lord who puts you in places where if he told you to love one another, can I tell you he's probably going to put you with people who are hard to love? Why would he do something like that? Why not give you the easy guys? Yeah. You don't grow when it's the easy guys. You grow when it's the hard guys. You grow when it's that person that just absolutely chaps you, <laughs> just rubs you the wrong way when you're... Now you got to love them. That's a little more difficult to do. Why does he do it? It's the only way you can grow. I mean, let's, let's face it. Jesus brings 12 guys together to be his disciples. Those 12 guys were not all friends. Matter of fact, if, if, if I'm understanding correctly, at least five of those guys were competitors in the fishing market. You got uh, John and James, who were brothers, uh, brothers together. Their dad was a fisherman. You've got Simon Peter and Andrew, their brothers, and they're doing fishing in the same village. So that means they're competing in the waters. They're competing when they bring the fish in. They're competing for, you follow what I'm saying? So here's some people who may have had some natural competitive things going for them, and then you mix it with the other guys there. you got Matthew, a publican, that's going to be a part of the thing. They weren't liked. You've, you've got a zealot there. That, that'd be, a, if I can say it, a, a right-wing conservative extremist. He's in that group. You've got guys that don't necessarily agree with each other that he's going to say love one another. Guys, that's, that's powerful stuff, okay? So... Um, when, uh, when growth in Christ is given first place, service will never suffer. You're not going to have to worry about whether you've got something to do or, or anything else. Now, um, a lot of times here at the church we'll say something like, we can't have a nursery because there's no, nobody here to work the nursery. We need people who work the nursery. We need people who work the nursery. Well, yeah, I understand what we think we need. How would you get people to serve in the nursery? You can make that kind of appeal, and what kind of people do you think you'll get to serve in the nursery? Martha's. Okay. Mary's are not so much, because Mary's want to sit at the feet of somebody. But when Mary has sat at the feet long enough, she knows now to love her sister enough to take care of what needs to be taken care of. All right. Well, let me go on further with you. At EBC which is a very average church. We see people all the time who get so busy serving the Lord, they have no time to grow in Christ. They're never in Bible studies anymore. Even when joining a group of other believers, they're not committed to growth with the group, but instead only want as much training and doctrine as will make them better servants in what they have chosen to do. For them, the rest of the academic stuff is of no real value. He does not want what God's, he does not know I'm sure it should be, he does not know what God's purpose for him is. Now, I don't know if you've seen this or not. 
over the years, and, and like I said, I've been here 40 years, so I understand I've seen this going on time and again. You'd have somebody that is never in a worship service, never in a Bible study, but always feels like they're serving the Lord. They're not serving the Lord. They're serving themselves. They're serving what they believe God ought to accept. It's just another Cain way of doing things. If I can just say it, it's another Nadab Abihu. It's another opportunity for people to go conquer the promised land without the presence of the Lord. There are times when you've got to stop and say, you know, I need some time to be alone with other brothers and sisters in Christ and not serving something. I need to hear what they're having to say. You can say, I don't need that. I'll study it by myself. Arrogant. What's the matter with you, you little arrogant pup? You study it by yourself? If you study by yourself, you're probably studying with a fool. You understand what I'm saying? Why? Because you're only getting your perspective. And your perspective is tainted by what things you think you believe. And then it'll be affected by whatever preacher you got to hear on the radio this place or in YouTube this place or whatever it is here. And you're, you're, you have to spend time with brothers and sisters talking about that faith. Working your way through that. So that's why I say, listen, just get alone with some believer, 10 believers, five believers, two believers. Get together, pray with them, and grow with them. Stop trying to be the Lone Ranger. You're not. You're always going to be a Lone Ranger because nobody will trust you. They've never been around you. They don't know what you're about, okay? Does that make sense to everybody? The, the author said this, our Father's ultimate purpose in serving us, and that's, this is to take up where it says he does not know what God's purpose for him is. When that guy is like a Martha and feels like he's going to serve the Lord, he's going to give the Lord what he wants to give the Lord, and the Lord's just going to have to accept it, that man has not understood what the purpose of saving him was in the first place. Our Father's ultimate purpose in saving us is that we might be conformed to the image of his Son, not simply to keep us out of hell and get us into heaven. We have been born into Christ that he may be our life, not just our Savior. You understand where that's coming from? The goal is to make you just like Jesus. Jesus didn't set out to see how many ways he could serve the Lord. He learned from his Father what he's supposed to do. Jesus said, I don't act independently. I listen to what my Father has to say, and whatever he says, that's what I say. Whatever he does, that's what I do. Does that make sense? That's what he's doing. He didn't act independently. He's not calling on us to act independently. He, he saved us that Jesus might be our life. All right, here's another big one. Well, the life of the church of every believer is the Holy Spirit that makes us one with the Father, okay? He did not expect us, did not want to. Matter of fact, it's a violation for us to try to act independently of him. He put us in union with Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who made that union. It's the Holy Spirit that gave you a new life in Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that applied the cross and the resurrection to you. It's the Holy Spirit that makes and in union with him, we are in union with Christ, and their purpose is identically the same, to make Jesus the focus and center of our lives and to make us just like him. 
not your service. Okay? When, when you are defining yourself in the terms of your service to the Lord, you've missed the point. That's not what he saved you for. He can get service out of rocks if he needs to. Uh, what he's looking for are people who will let Jesus be the focus. Jesus is the focus. This is the one the Father said. I'm not, I'm not letting any other way be a way that influences me. Jesus is my only way. You have to be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll love me. If you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't love me. Just plain and simple, okay? So let's go on further with it. <clears throat> when we realize that we have been born into the Lord Jesus so that his life might be made manifest in our mortal flesh, our heart hunger is brought into heart of the Spirit for us, changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Our burden for ourselves and others will be the same as the Holy Spirit placed, uh, the same as the Holy Spirit placed on Paul's heart when he spoke of the burden of his heart was that Christ be formed in you. So when you are getting next to Christ, when you're allowing the Holy Spirit to teach you and conform you to the image of his Son, guess whose desires you have? His. It's not yours combined with his. It's his because you've become like him. And now you're understanding what it is to, to really serve the Lord. All right. All right. Two more paragraphs and we're, we're through this. When we try to serve the Lord by doing without being, we are inadequate to bear fruit. We are trying, to, by, trying by self-effort to produce an imitation of the true, and it cannot work. This leads us to frustration and either the hypocrisy of thinking we are doing well because we are busy doing the things we have decided God ought to be pleased with, or to the inner knowledge of everything we do being useless. In this latter frame of mind, we get bummed out because we are not appreciated enough for our sacrifices, or simply burned out with no energy left to do more of the same old empty stuff. This is used by God since we are quietly being taught and trained by the Spirit through failure. But the patient Holy Spirit finally enables us to face up to the fact that we are the hindrance. Okay? So let, let me just break this down a little bit to see if, this, if we can clear it up a little bit. <clears throat> when you are trying to serve the Lord in your own strength, in your own resources, it's not long until you're going to not be happy because people are not appreciating you. You have worked so hard and you've given so much of your time, and people are not saying, you're the most wonderful thing since the Lord Jesus Christ. No one's ever been the servant that you are. And you get to where you're expecting that to take place. And it doesn't happen. They're, they're seeing your duty, and they're, they're understanding that you, you've been faithful like that, but that's not necessarily fruitful. Does that make any sense? It's not necessarily fruitful because you, you, now you're expecting. Some will go ahead and do that, and they'll feel that because they're serving this way, they're doing what they believe God ought to do. It's kind of like Cain. I'm serving God, and I gave to God what, what the best parts of my whole uh, being here. 
and he didn't accept it. I, I just feel like everything I do is useless. What's my point? I'm just, why don't, might as well quit. I'm not going to serve anybody anymore. I'm not going to do anything anymore. That is a Cain thought, and that Cain thought is a murderous thought. You, you follow where I'm coming from? Is all this making sense to you? You, you have to be careful about what you're doing here, that you're being rooted and grounded in Christ, not just doing a bunch of service. And as we've, we've said here, you can get burned out. By burned out, you're just tired of doing stuff. You know that what you're doing is useless. It's really not going anywhere. But you've been doing it for a long time, and you're just kind of tired of doing it because it was coming from your own resources coming out of you, it didn't have any eternal strength to it. It had to come from the eternal God or you're going to run out of energy. After a while, he gets tired of your service. It's of no value. You're, you're now wandering in the wilderness thinking God ought to be happy with having you as one of his people when truthfully he's still feeding you in the wilderness He's still making sure your clothes don't rot off of you, making sure your shoes don't rot off of you, but you're going nowhere. You're just living to die. Does that make sense? You're just surviving. All right, let me go to the last paragraph here. It is through the witness of those who have been with Jesus in a personal growing relationship that others hear of and are convicted about this same Lord Jesus. The disciples, Peter and John, had been brought before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is going to tell them to stop preaching this gospel, stop preaching this resurrection. It says about those two that they noted they had been with Jesus. Now, how do they know that? Because Jesus was manifesting himself right through that. They're going to say, we didn't heal this man by ourselves. It's not our power that did that. It's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that healed this man. And they're noting they've been with the Lord Jesus. It is being with the Lord Jesus that gave those people an understanding these people are different. There is an authority about them because it's coming from the Lord Jesus Christ, not coming from them, all right? Um, Next sentence, to be that witness, you must have been with him enough to know of what you speak. So if, if you, listen, people know whether you've been with Jesus or not. You, you, you may be able to give them a verse or whatever else, but they know whether you know Jesus or not. If you have no relationship, you are little more than an ideologue, a religious salesman looking for another decision to buy your unknown product. In other words, you, you think that you're trying to convince people to follow your way of doing things. Well, that's just a religious salesman. You understand what I'm selling them that product. You're not selling them that. You are telling them by your life who Jesus is. And it's by that life of Jesus that they are impressed, not by you. Because otherwise, you just look like a, another salesman of some sort. Until people understand the need for the person you know intimately, until they know the need for Jesus, they will not understand why they should lead their cultural way of life to adopt your untested one or one that has been shown through time to be mishandled by people who did not know him but knew the politics and cultural changes they wanted. Have, I don't know if you've ever 
talked to people about the Lord Jesus Christ and had them come back and say something like this. Oh, yeah, I know about the church. More people have died because of religion than any other thing. More people have been killed. by And and I have to stop sometime and say, yeah, I I suppose that's right. I guess uh, we've probably killed more than Mao did, Stalin did. More than Hitler. Wait a minute, all those guys are atheists. So it looks like maybe atheists have killed more than anybody else in the whole wide world. Maybe people who were idolatrous killed more people than the church did. You know, it, people have looked at those things. They're looking for all kinds of excuses because they believe you're trying to sell them a way of life. You're trying to sell them the church. If you're trying to sell them the church, you're selling the wrong product. You want to tell them about Jesus not sell them the church. Because there are people in the church, believe it or not, who are sinners. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know who they are. Apparently, they didn't show up tonight. That's, it must be those people that didn't show up tonight, right? Yeah, it's them. Look, we're all in process, all of us. We want to show them who Jesus is that's changing us by that process. Church can be wrong. It's been wrong about a number of things. And for that, the church needs to repent and sometimes has repented. All right, All right. that's the thoughts and questions we have for tonight's lesson. Any questions or comments or anything like that you, you're interested in? Michael? This idea of serving the way that he's presenting it, I think it's a form of a work salvation. Yes, it, it absolutely is because... If it's not coming from him, it is our own works. And we're trying to be self-righteous about it. Yes. Nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. <laughs> so true. Yes. And and we don't help new believers when we try to put them into service things. Make them, make them, let's get them started working again. I can't tell how many times um, we've been um, electing men or nominating men to uh, to be deacons, and um, or to do anything else in the church, and said, you know, they're. They don't do anything. Let's get them involved with something so that they start doing something. You know, that's not the person you get. If you get that person right there, you're always going to have to be pumping them up to do something. Get people who are already working, who are already showing there's something they're doing because they love the Lord. That, that's, they're, they're working from that. They're being faithful in that ministry. They're not looking for any uh, creed. Uh, Um, kudos or anything like that. They're just simply serving the Lord out of their love for Christ. So anyway, good, good points. Anything else? I think this is important stuff because it, it really is the difference in what true service is and what fooling yourself. Now uh, what he does, Chrissy, he, he allows us to fail 
at those things. He allows us to do those things, especially when, when we're new. We'll get started doing things, and it's through the failure that we learn how to do things differently. And here's the beautiful thing. According to Romans chapter 8, you're not under condemnation for your failures. Does that make sense? You're not under condemnation for your failures. Right. Right. It was just not right. Yeah, there, there was no condemnation for Martha. Martha's doing what hundreds of others were doing all around her. She wasn't doing anything unusual or weird. Um, and he was, he was only saying, what is the proper thing? He didn't, he didn't say anything about, Martha, you're worried about a lot of things, so you were wrong. He said, there is one thing that's needful. And she chose it. So next time, Martha, choose this one. <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? Choose, choose the better part. She's, he, he, I think the beauty of Jesus is that he teaches us through our failures he, and, and is showing us a new way all the time. All right. Other thoughts, comments? All right. Well, it's time for prayer. Let's close in prayer, shall we? Anybody can pray that wants to. We've got a lot of things to be praying for, obviously. Um, I think Dave Wells is certainly uh, worthy of our prayer tonight. Whatever it is that's going on with him, that they'll be able to stop that, um, find out the pain, and bring some sort of comfort to him there. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Whatever you want to pray about, then I'll close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the time that you provided for us tonight. I thank you for each and every person here. We are not here by accident. We are here because we have an opportunity to grow in you and prosper in you. Lord, I thank you for the, the fine teachers in Awana and who work very hard and very diligently with the children that they are teaching your word to. I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for our men and women in uniform who are being deployed. You are putting them in harm's way. Yet we know, because of your love, you will protect them, you will guide them, and you will love them. So thank you for that. You, Lord, you have created the most magnificent country that's ever been designed and created. Yet we are crumbling from within. And it's our own fault. Nobody's but us. So Lord, give us wisdom, give us strength to understand what we're doing wrong and correct those ways. Lord, those who cannot be here tonight for whatever reason, illness, maybe their car broke down, whatever their reason, Lord, just please preserve them, protect them, and love them as you always do. I thank you for Pastor White's time tonight. He is a devoted man. All you have to do is listen to him. You know that he speaks with a sincere heart. And he loves the Lord like no man I've ever known. Lord, I thank you for him. I Lord, Lord, I thank you for this congregation that, that is so loving and so caring. And who are so giving 
without hesitation. Lord, I thank you for them. Lord, I want to thank you for all the, the first responders, the policemen, the firemen, the EMTs, for the service that they do. They protect us because of your awesome ability that you've given them. We thank you for them. Lord, my humble request is that our elected officials who we have put there would come to know the fear of the Lord yes. and understand what they are doing to this country, this magnificent country. My humble request, Lord, is that they would open their eyes, open their ears, and open their hearts and perform the job that we have elected them to do. So, Lord, I just want to thank you for what you do for each and every one of us every day, without hesitation, unconditionally, Lord, I just want to thank you, praise you, and love you. In Jesus' sweet, beautiful, wonderful, powerful name. Amen. I thank you for reminding us that of the priorities are not where they ought to be. And we ask that we will continue to uh, open our eyes and hearts to why we do what we do. And yet, we uh, seek to make you the priority of our, not just our daily living, but every aspect of it. And also, we thank you for the opportunity to, to serve. As we serve others, we are uh, serving you. And we, we thank you for the opportunity to bring these prayer requests to you, such as our brother Dave, you know, uh, what he's going through health. We ask that you would uh, give the doctor's wisdom, but give also Dave uh, patience to slow down and wait upon you. And, uh, and we'd be encouraged knowing that he has not says his brothers and sisters behind him. I also want to remember uh, all those who are being held hostage by the Hamas we don't know what the situation is right now with them, and I'm sure they have to be terrified. But we ask that you would protect them, and they may all be released soon and quickly. And whatever believers might be among that group, that they can uh, be an encouragement to those around them. Thank you for the nation nation of Israel as they seek to um, protect the innocent there and as much as possible. We pray that even though in this situation that they will not um, think, think they have it all in control of themselves. We know that one day they all come to a point of knowing that they are not in control and they have to depend upon you. So to what extent this is leading up to that time, we ask your will be done. So strengthen us as the Edgemont Bible Church as we continue in a new year. May we keep our eyes on you, our focus and our purpose to um, be the light and salt that you have placed us in.
Father, we yield ourselves to you, that your spirit may teach us how to pray as we ought to pray. We want to thank you, Father, that we don't have uh, the, whereas we don't have the, the big view of everything, we know your spirit does. And it puts in a place, Father, sometimes we don't know how to pray as we ought to pray. So we're asking in the name of Jesus that you guide our hearts to know how to pray for our brothers and sisters, for the will of God to be done in Israel, for the will of God to be done in all of the Mideast area, for the will of God to be done in uh, the China, in Russia, in the United States, in all the regions of the world, Father, for the will to be done. We pray for folk just like uh, Dan and Amy Portugal, that you will give them fruitfulness there in 